Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of The Financial Confessions. Uh, This week, we have a guest who came on the show on what I have to say for TFC might be a land speed record in terms of short notice. Um, I reached out to him a couple days ago. He's sitting down today, and then in a few days, you guys will be seeing this uh, live on your YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And usually we don't really run on that tight of a timeline. We tend to talk about more evergreen topics and do deep dives into things that are not necessarily uh, based on what's trending in the news right now. However, the topic that I'm going to talk about today with our guest is one that I really felt deserved as much timeliness as we could give it. Most of you who have even a passing interest in personal finance, which if you watch a personal finance channel or listen to one is probably all of you, have been aware of the meteoric rise in popularity and interest and in use of cryptocurrencies and NFTs or non-fungible tokens. We get asked about them every day, multiple times a day on this and other platforms. Also on our YouTube channel, you may frequently see bots pretending to be our channel, trying to spam other people into buying various cryptocurrencies and NFTs. Uh, Those are not us. We block and ban as fast as we can, but we can't get to them all right away. Um, Suffice it to say, it is very much in the zeitgeist. And my guest today recently made a video that is just absolutely blowing up on YouTube, which I think is quite a net good for society, breaking down these concepts, exploring what they are, why they're so popular, and to be perfectly honest, why they're bad as hell. My overall stance on these issues really aligns with that of our guest, which is that these kinds of financial instruments, and I think in some ways it's even sort of dubious to call them that because it lends them more credibility than they deserve, are incredibly toxic for reasons that are financial, technological, and also societal. While his video does, I think, an absolutely masterful job at breaking all that down, and yes, you should invest the two plus hours it takes to watch it, we'll link you guys to it in the description below, I want to dive a little bit deeper on some of the topics that he covers in his video, as well as talk about what it's been like in the very short time since his video has caused such a considerable amount of conversation on the topic. Without further ado, I am joined today by Dan Olson, who is the founder and host of the Folding Ideas YouTube channel and the creator of the recent viral video, The Problem with NFTs. Welcome, Dan. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't think it's a particularly useful um, exercise to outline what cryptocurrencies and NFTs are in any great detail, but because this is a, a financial show and the audience is financial in terms of the very broad strokes of how you would define these things uh, financially. Do you have a more bite-sized summary to contextualize some of this conversation for people who may be a little more new to it? Oh, uh, I mean, cryptocurrencies are a speculative financial asset that has a lot of myth-making and narrative surrounding it that would take hours to fully unpack. Um, Yeah, I guess that's kind of, you almost have to summarize it based off of its complexity. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I think that part of what is so important about your video is it does manage to make what is ultimately a very, very complex and intricate explanation of the thing interesting for two hours. But one of the arguments that you kind of make in your video, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the reason these NFTs, these digital tokens, essentially, because it's not really the artwork that you're buying, it's sort of a proof of ownership of that artwork, although even that is kind of tenuous. The reason that they've become popular is because they're effectively outside of drugs, basically, the only thing with a demonstrated sort of use case for spending cryptocurrency. People spend their cryptocurrency to buy these NFTs. So they've become popular because they're a reason for people to buy into cryptocurrencies, obviously, therefore, to have, you know, enter actual dollars into that market um, and move the money around, essentially. Is that fair to say? Yeah, a lot of what, like, they're the first actual native use case of cryptocurrency that gives holders something to spend it on. Um, that's, I was going to say legal, but, uh, that, that ends up being a a broader sort of question mark, but like, yeah, it's, it's the first thing, like, you know, crypto has been plagued for a decade with just a lack of stuff to do with it. And, uh, 
NFTs were largely invented as a thing to do with it. So you made this video a week and a half ago. It it came out two weeks ago. It it came out uh, two Fridays ago. Two Fridays ago, and last time I looked, it had almost four million views. Uh, it's creeping up there. Yeah, it's so I ha I haven't checked. Um, I've I've stopped I've stopped watching the number. It got overwhelming, but so it's somewhere between three point five and four. Now, for those who may not be familiar with YouTube numbers, unless you're like Jake Paul fighting a professional athlete or like a child playing with a bunch of like Play-Doh goo, those are some incredible numbers to be putting up on YouTube. Is that? It's 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 a, it's a notable number. Yeah. Now, I'm not complaining about <laughs> I'm not complaining about the number at all. It's Well, part of the part of the reason why I'm highlighting it is because I think there's something really interesting about how quickly it gains steam with what you say is sort of an exterior audience um, and how much it became a part of the conversation. Not just because I think it's important that people are engaging with these ideas at, at that scale, but also because from what I've seen, the response to it seems to be quite positive in a space and about a subject where criticism is often met with extreme hostility and even, you know, aggression. So have you felt that the response has been largely quite positive or have you been receiving a lot of that backlash? So when the when the video initially went out, the initial response for like, you know, day, day and a half, two days was like overwhelmingly positive. And that's kind of expected, you know, there's like my, my like, immediate audience are gonna be the first people to, uh, to view it, and then they're going to share it with people close to them. And then, you know, then it spreads out, but over, and it took a couple of days before it really started getting into the into the crypto space. And I started seeing a lot more um, hostility towards it. Um, but it it has been interesting because there has been a lot of like sort of positive like there there has been a lot of positive response to it within the crypto sphere but then also a lot of like begrudgingly positive um i think it's i i don't want to ascribe outsized influence to the video but uh i think it landed at the right moment where it's kind of causing like all like a shock through the system uh one person described it as you know a sobering like one like heavily heavily pro crypto person described it as a uh, a sobering put up or shut up moment i don't know how like pro crypto people who are like i don't know how to deal with this because i agree with basically everything i just don't like the tone well, isn't that like the material uh, content of like 85% of internet comments, um, you know, just responding to to the tone and also um, whether or not it applies to their life directly. You obviously, so you made this video um, really deep diving into both, you know, what cryptocurrencies and NFTs are. Um, and again, I think everyone should really go watch that um, if you haven't already before even really listening to this, honestly, it'll help you get more out of the conversation. But you made this video kind of explaining what they are. And from my view, explaining a really high sense of kind of moral, financial, technological um, urgency um, to understand why these things are bad. And I, I obviously it's a nuanced answer, but for someone watching casually who doesn't know much about this, why are cryptocurrencies and NFTs so dangerous, so bad? Cryptocurrency is a socially destructive experiment in um, financial reorganization uh, that serves the needs and whims of some very scary people who uh, already really have too much power. Um, and NFTs are just kind of a extension onto the side of that that exists to create legitimacy for the, the overarching thing. Um, and this was the thing that actually, this is, this is a thing that I struggled with a lot in writing it, which is that the whole ecosystem is so complex that it's 
it's almost necessary when engaging with it to um, compartmentalize all of the different things that you're talking about and all of the different things that you're dealing with. So you start talking about NFTs, it's very, very easy and tempting to just start talking about NFTs in their own little bubble. Like, so you end up talking about like, oh, well, you know, is digital ownership a bad thing? Are digital collectibles bad? And it's like, well, no, digital ownership isn't, isn't a bad concept. Digital collectibles aren't a bad thing. Well, is it bad for artists to get paid? Well, no, it's great for artists to get paid, but that's missing the bigger picture. That's, you know, I've been accused of like missing the forest for the trees, but that's literally missing the forest for the trees. That's saying that it's like, oh, well, like this one application um, concept for NFTs is like, like has good and legitimate roots. Therefore, like it's all okay. I said, well, no, because it's in service of this bigger thing. You know, it's in service, like you, in order to get into that ecosystem where you're doing the harmless thing, you're legitimizing this experiment that is attempting to like dismantle social uh you know that, that's attempting to like dismantle our already already fragile social systems this is attempting to starve out public uh public works that wants to like turn everything into that it's like oh well what if we replace you know mayors with ceos like what if cities had ceos instead of mayors what if we had a ceo of the country instead of uh instead of like a president and it's like whatever opinion you have about the structure of our political uh of our political systems it's it's pretty easy to say that it's like okay presidents might be a bad idea ceos are a worse one um and and that's kind of where uh oh boy i don't know if i'm summing that up like adequately because it took <laughs> probably the the most flattering um response that i got to the video was uh was someone who said that it's telling of how circuitous the system is that that a two and a quarter hour video doesn't feel padded yeah no, no, no. In fact, yeah, it's it's it feels like at certain times you could have gone, yeah, way, way longer on different subjects. I, I could have like the the it, it could have been 10 hours and I still wouldn't have run out of of things to talk about. So I'm 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 not sure if that's a good summary, but like the why why are crypto and NFTs bad? It's like they're they're socially destructive and they represent, you know, crypto. I you know, I, I really want to stress that that like NFTs are an extension of crypto and crypto is a socially destructive experiment that constant like that that goes to great lengths to concentrate even more wealth and even more power into the hands of the few uh they're you know deflationary by design which traps you know so the the long term outcome of these would be that latecomers which you have to consider that it's like, oh, well, what does a late adopter look like in crypto? And it's like, well, if we're talking on a timeline, it's people who are kids right now. So like, let's imagine this hypothetical future where crypto becomes like mainstream. It becomes like, let's say it wins and it takes over. Um, well, you know, it's like, oh, well, you should have bought in early. It's like, well, I couldn't buy in early. I was five. Right. I now have to buy in late because... The, the 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 passage of time dictates it um and that it's like okay like how is it going to how is it going to behave when those people have to buy in and it's like oh not good not well there it's it's going to be terrible it you know and deflationary economies trap ordinary people into irrecoverable cycles of debt that just leads towards serfdom that's why under the gold-based economy of the Middle Ages, we had a whole lot of serfdom. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we know how this unfolds. We we know how the Gilded Age unfolded. And like, is is fiat currency like great? No. In terms of historic monetary systems, it's actually pretty good. It solves it right. actually legitimately solves a lot of problems. Um, there's some bad externalities for it, but like we have history books. We like the, 
the railroad robber barons exist after the invention of photography. Like we know what these guys looked like. Right. Um, we, you know, that it's like, it's, it's not ancient history. It's not that far back. We, we know how it plays out when you have economic systems that are based off of deflationary currency and it's real bad for the average person who has to like, who, who is forced to engage with it on a debt basis. Um, and it, it filters, uh, it filters wealth upwards. And so, you know, that's why, like, I, I keep trying to pull it back to that big picture. This is like, why are NFTs bad if paying artists it's like well nfts are bad because they're a tumor like they're a growth on the side of cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency is an attempt to destabilize our our economy and society even further in order to implement a power system that is deflationary and rewards the wealthy and the early with explicit political and monetary power and kind of your closing argument in the video um is really comparing cryptocurrencies and NFTs in particular as effectively very similar to an MLM, which is a subject that we cover quite a lot on our channel and our audience, which is primarily women are very interested in because women are very heavily targeted by MLMs. Um, this obviously seems to skew much more masculine, hence people referring to it as kind of an MLM for men. But effectively, the, the driving um, sort of dynamic behind both of those things and the comparison is that ultimately, because these are totally speculative and because they really have very limited real world application, if any, the value of these currencies, the value of these tokens depend on owners convincing another person that they have a higher value than they themselves purchased in at. Is that also fair to say? Yeah, that's that's fair to say. And also the uh, a big thing with the similarities is that they they utilize a lot of the same rhetoric, like the the myth making and narrative surrounding the products themselves are are very, very similar um, between between multi-level marketing and crypto. Like there's there's adaptations for specific audience, but it, when you when you pick them apart, like it's it's the same promises, it's the same myths, it's the same anxieties that are being tapped into. It's the same um, you know psychology. One of the things that I think makes the entire phenomenon of of cryptocurrency so dangerous from a financial perspective, and I mentioned in the intro that this is something we get asked about all the time, um, and it's something that even, I mean, our audience is pretty discerning and savvy about personal finance, and I think many of them, um, even myself formerly, kind of operate on this assumption that there's something to it that we don't understand, and therefore it must be legitimate, there must be some real value to it. Um, and I think the term itself, currency, is part of that you know, misleading nature and part of what makes it so dangerous because in effect, it hasn't really demonstrated itself to be an actual currency. No, it's very, very bad as a currency. And the last week and a half uh, of watching kind of the, the valuation and, and spending power of uh, the two most popular, well, actually, I mean, like the five, 10 most popular uh, coins, though, um, Bitcoin and Ether have such a overwhelming market share that you you can basically just talk about them as though they're the economy and it's functionally accurate um like watching that watching those swings and the swings over the last like year year and a half and i mean to the last decade of of this stuff it's basically non-functional as currency and you the the rapid fluctuations in spending power would make it insane to try to actually like use it as like use it fully as currency. Like it's just, it's so unstable. Um, and part of the problem that, you know, I tried to dig into in the, in the video, but it's hard to squeeze it all into a mere two hours is that the, if, if you actually look at like the needs of, of users, like buyers, you know, like just going about their lives. So if we think about a theoretical mass adoption scenario where it's like, all right, what would you and I and my mom and, you know, my, my brothers and my dad and my uncles and, and everybody I know, like, what would we need in a currency, like in a digital currency that we use to do just our daily interactions? Um, that version 
of a hypothetical digital currency bears like basically no resemblance to what crypto coins actually are and how they behave. And the incentive sets for the people who who run, build, manage, launch, sell cryptocurrencies are are antithetical to the, like they're completely different like completely incompatible paradigms because what what i need in a currency that i'm going to spend every day is stability i need it to be very very boring i need it to be like so almost absurdly safe as a thing to have value in that i can just stop thinking about it i can just use it because it's like, is, is the value, like the value needs to change so slowly that I need to worry about it on timelines of years. Uh, if I need to worry about the value of my currency on a timeline of even weeks, that's already like non-functional. That's going to completely screw up all of the incentives around like using it and it's gonna, it's just gonna mess everything up. But the incentives of people selling crypto is this: like they want it to be, they want it to go to the moon, they want it to be volatile, they want that line going up, they want it to be exciting, they want it to be a like high pressure investment scenario where it's like, yeah, it's like big risk, but it's also huge rewards. Like you've got just these completely irrational swings in numbers um, because that's energizing to them and that gets what gets them exciting that gets the blood flowing and it's like yeah but that makes it not a currency you can't use like if it's doing that if it's behaving that way it's non-functional as a currency so it's just not a currency and nobody treats it as a currency everybody treats it as an investment because you know take okay like that's what it is I love the idea of walking into like a 7-Eleven to buy some milk with your crypto. And like, by the time you get to the cash register, they'll, they'll like, that's a million dollars effectively. And you're like, what? Um, one yeah. of the things that, yeah, one of the things that I, it, it just ends up being a small detail. Like even just as I was pulling all of these, uh, these examples. So when Jack uh, sold the first tweet, it took them like uh, 11 days or something to, to actually settle the auction. And in that time, the dollar value of the ether. Um, so it's like the so the the initial bid was for $2.5 million. And by the time the auction was settled two weeks later, it was now $2.9 million. Awesome. Don't all currencies we know and love do that in a two-week span of time? We just love it. Um yeah. One of the things that I think is really keeping people on this um, this sort of what I would call middle ground, there are people who are all in on crypto, there are people who are very against, and then there I would say most people in the middle who again feel that there must be something I don't understand, there must be some kind of legitimacy there, which by the way, let's be clear, is also endemic to the the overall financial market, but we can get into that another time. Um, but I think part of what is keeping it on, um, keeping people in that middle ground is the participation of a lot of um, tech leaders, celebrities, notable figures, billionaires in these various cryptocurrencies. My question to you, I mean, I view this, I'm, as I'm sure you do as well, as a pretty obvious pump and dump of like, you know, Paris Hilton going on Jimmy Fallon to talk about how cool her ape is. I love the hat. Like, like that happening clearly yeah, tried to crawl out of my body. It's so hard to watch, but yet in some ways kind of cool, actually. It's very Lynchian. Um, so that is sunglasses. Uh, <laughs> sunglasses. So she's obviously trying to sort of pump the value of it. Now, between these celebrities, like I'm sure Paris Hilton has no clue what an NFT is and someone's like selling her on it. And then I'm sure someone like Jack Dorsey, who has all kinds of investments in crypto, is like he's more actively sort of understanding what he's doing himself. But for the the big people who are slap fights with other crypto people, it's very funny. Love that for him. Just our little Rasputin out here always causing drama. Um, So amongst all of these big figures who are in it, how many do you feel are in it because they're true believers? And how many are in it do you feel just because they're getting swindled by someone who's into crypto? Oh. oh god that's a that's a hard hard number to to pin um of like celebrities of like pop culture celebrities um i i would put scant few of them into the true believer camp there's a few of them that i don't know if they're true believers but like they're definitely in it authentically like walk a flock of flame 
posts about it all the time in a very personal like you know just like vloggish way so it's like all right he he's he's in for a penny and for a pound um uh i think uh elijah wood like is into no. it as a hobby but like jimmy fallon doesn't justin bieber has has no clue what metamask is like he doesn't he doesn't know or care uh you know he was he was like somebody approached his manager with a business deal uh and it's like hey or like you know got got a hold of his financial investor whatever it's like hey we've got a really good opportunity for you here and it just it just goes on the pile of like you know meaningless pitches that uh that big name celebrities deal with every single day like it's it's effectively treated no different than any other brand endorsement deal yeah Um, yeah in the tech sphere i think it uh i think it skews a lot more like you're gonna end up with um I would say in the tech sphere, you end up with a lot more true believers because they're equipped with a very specific self-inflicted condition that enables them to convince themselves of all sorts of intangible things as being like that you're able to treat these intangible things as being effectively present and real. And that's being, we've constructed this monstrous machine where like ever since like i mean it happened in the dot-com boom and the dot-com like the dot-com bubble where uh companies would pop up and they would just they would talk about their plans and it's like oh we're going to do xyz and then regardless of whether or not xyz was a good idea a feasible idea or even physically possible they would get valuated based off of that and they would sell like stock based off of that well they had you know, a single empty, like a single office with like three desks in it. Um, And they would, they would move all of this money. And we've got two decades of basically that environment where, you know, tech industries can make, like tech people can make just grandiose claims with no, like, and, and connection to reality is, is unnecessary. It's, it's secondary. It's, it's, it's optional. Um, and I think after those two decades, like they've just gotten very, very, very used to it. Uh, and it's enabled them to, you know, because in a lot of cases, like, I don't want to say it works out, but like somebody ends up winning, like you still end, you end up with an Amazon, you end up with a Google, you end up with a Zoom, you end up with a, you know, Discord, you end up with whatever, um, you do end up with winners. And so, um, there, there is not some vast systemic punishment for ridiculous overpromising, and um, that's created a acceptable psychology of like, oh yeah, you can just make these grandiose, completely, con- you know, confabulated uh, uh, claims and question mark, question mark, question mark. It'll probably work out. Um, so. I, I think the the tech sphere is better equipped to disillusion itself and just convince itself that like, yeah, it, it'll absolutely work um, in the financial half of side. That's where I think you find the really, really like hardcore grifters. You know, that's where you find the Jordan okay. Belforts who are just like straight up like, you know, they they do not care. They don't believe in any of it. And they just no commitment completely mercenary it's just like hey these are the magic words that you need to say in order to get uh you know 150k views on uh, youtube to get like 2000 people showing up to your uh 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 twitter spaces and to get you know 50 of them signing up for your workshop man alive oh, the just like there's something so undignified about the about nfts like the idea of like a completely mercenary Goldman Sachs executive like just basically having to like make this you know pitch to his bosses about like we got to go all in on these disgusting apes like it just like at least with other you know horrible financial swindles like there was I don't know I just felt like there was more dignity to it like this is just so base and childish um and so contemptuous for the people who are actually because the thing is that like yes the comparison to MLMs is very apt And yes, it is very bad when women end up with walk-in closets full of, you know, moisturizers that they can't sell. But at least those moisturizers exist.
exist. At least you can actually put them on skin and, you know, maybe be a little more moisturized. With these, there's nothing. You end up garage qualified in uh, in um, Herbalife and you, you've got a garage, like, you know, you, you have a storage room full of awful supplements, but I guess they at least have like some caloric value. Yeah. There's your silver lining on a very dark cloud. Where if you end up if you end up garage qualified in crypto, you're just you you might as well have uh, got had by a wallet inspector. <laughs> um, true. Uh, so this is more of a a political question, but you know we we're we're very open uh, at TFD about our progressive. Um, political values, because obviously all of our financial choices in, exist in a much greater economic and political framework and obviously are very subject to regulation and, you know, tax policy and all of these things. It appears to me, and this could be my, you know, Bernie bias showing, but it appears to me that the entire sort of ethical and philosophical underpinnings of the cryptocurrency world of NFTs, et cetera, is fundamentally libertarian um, and a fundamentally right-wing ideology. Um, do you think that that's true? And I guess more pertinently, is it possible to be a progressive crypto person? So yes. And so the, the first part, yes, absolutely. I, I think the the connections, like the philosophical connections between Bitcoin and sound money, between Bitcoin and gold standard, like it's it's weird that the like that this seems so disconnect, like that this is not as per. Back in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when I was first like following Bitcoin, this was just all on the table, like this was out in the open. That it's like the comparisons between Bitcoin, it's like Bitcoin is digital gold. We need to go back to the gold standard and the overlap between Bitcoin enthusiasts and gold bugs, the overlap between, you know, uh, Bitcoin enthusiasts and um, uh, uh, just like, like sound money, kind of like really scary weirdos. Um, you know, and even just the fact that like, oh, fiat currency has, uh, has become so pervasive as a, as a framework for talking about, um, you know, for talking about uh, centralized finance, that, that it's like, that was, that was all very out in the open, like the roots of that are super exposed. Um, but I think there's been a lot of recruiting done over the last, particularly the last five years to really try to get in um you know a a liberal if not you know socialist sort of wing to all of this there's been a lot of pitching towards them that has focused more on like the smart contract layer of things like the governance layer that is used to basically left wash the you know deflationary sound money gold bug roots of of the the system itself <clears throat> One of the other um, ways in which I think the MLM comparison is very apt is that MLMs sort of notoriously take a lot of material um, realities that women experience, not a lot of job opportunities, especially for stay-at-home mothers, military spouses, et cetera, socially isolated in a lot of cases, experience gender discrimination, ex discrimination for being mothers, et cetera. It sort of presents them with all of these problems that are true and then offers them a solution which usually ends by putting them in debt and making all of their problems worse. And similarly, a lot of the discourse that I've seen from some of the people who seem, if not, you know, more politically center or even left, at least savvy at pretending to be, is this real sort of um, meaningful sounding gesture to how predatory and how unequal and how insufficiently, you know, pr uh, protected and regulated the um, the overall financial system is. It sort of has this overall tone of like the, the way the economy runs is really bad. And their answer to it is sort of to exacerbate all of those problems. Like here's this alternative system that's worse in all of the ways that we described above. Um, and when but, you watch but you video, could be the yeah, but you could be the co-owner of that new thing if you get in now. Pay no attention to the people who won't have an opportunity to get in until five years from now. Right. Don't think about them. Just think about now. Yeah. Um, 
why do you do you feel that the resonation, the resonance that it's having with people, um, comes from just sort of a, a desperation to find an alternative system? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, like the the narrative of crypto is absolutely touching on very real pressure points that exist in our society. You know, very real inequalities, um, and it's promising to be a solution to those. Um, and you know the the issue, the the umbrage that I uh, that I take is the that not enough people are asking like one is this actually going to solve those problems? Like, is, is your proposed solution even going to work in the first place? And two, are you even working on it? Because the thing is, is there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who are willing to like start up a crypto fund promising like, it's like, oh, we're going to be a bold experiment in, in UBI. And then it's, it's just a pump for some coin. Now, this is a question that probably no one can answer, but I feel obligated to ask what your even surface level response to this is. When you have so many people who rightfully feel that they have very little kind of upward mobility or possibility of achieving their even kind of modest financial goals, they feel the system is, you know, broken beyond repair, et cetera, and this is offering them an alternative. Um, what do you say to those people? Like, what do you say to someone, even for example, in our own lives that we would want to get out of that system while still validating what are very real concerns? What else can we offer? God, I, I really wish I had an answer to that because I, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for anyone who just ends up like completely black pilled on, on these subjects right now, just goes like full into doomerism that it's like, oh, like it, it is the system in fact so utterly broken that it becomes just a completely rational choice to uh, to go all in on crypto because it's like what what like nothing nothing matters. Who can't like you know if 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 nothing matters, then what does it matter what uh, you know what what poison you pick? Um, I mean the. Oh, it feels super weak to just be that it's like the the arguments in that kind of localized personal conversation just end up being like, yeah, everything sucks. But like this is like super risky, like e even by the by the standards of risk, like this is you're you're probably going to get better returns at a roulette table. And you get free drinks, plus you can smoke cigarettes inside, which is rare these days. You know, the, yeah, that ends up, I mean, that's the hard part is because it's, it all ties into systemic stuff. So if you're talking about like, how do we, how do we kind of like defang the, the crypto movement, um, defang, like, you know, particularly defang, like the predatory arm of the crypto movement, which is the largest, uh, the the answers to that are things like well fix uh um fix minimum wage like that it's like okay tie tie minimum wage to inflation like correct wage stagnation uh build affordable housing forgive you know forgive student debt fix the medical debt uh, the, the medical debt economy, like just make, make people's lives less chaotic. And, and that, that right there is like the greatest inoculant against, against predation is people who people become resistant to predation when they feel safe. Um, because like what, what these grifters rely on is having a steady stream of desperate people who are in legitimately bad scenarios where their risk evaluation gets completely out of whack for utterly understandable reasons. You know, if you, I mean, the, the long running thing over the last few years, like the whole avocado toast thing, where it's like, oh, look, like millennials can't buy houses because they're busy buying avocado toast every day. And it's like, I'm sorry, four bucks a day is not going to buy you a house. 
like that's like basic math here. Like how many years of avocado toast do you need to eat before you can, before you can afford a house that exists today? Um, And it's like, all right, you know, people make these decisions because they're looking at, because the numbers are stacked against them and they realize that the numbers are stacked against them. And it's like, does it become rational to gamble at, you know, when it's like, all right, you've got, you've got five bucks a week in Slack in your budget. Why not buy a lottery ticket? Like, I mean, in terms of, I mean, it's hard to say, I guess you'd probably, it's probably on par with where you'd be if you bought lottery tickets, but I do think it's, I think the most compelling argument from, you know, just a sort of purely sort of personal finance view is, you know, if you're right about all these things, the system is bad, you're dealing with an unfair deck of cards, your choices are bad, but you're almost guaranteed to be materially worse off if you put your money in crypto, period. Yeah, that you, you, you might win, but odds are, odds, odds are not in your favor. Um, I mean, I've, I've had some people approach me like, okay, like if you were going to do this, you know, like how, how would you approach it? Like, what would be the most uh, like ethical way to approach it? And it's basically like, all right, you, you, you put a little bit in like just a bit, you set a benchmark for like what you want to see on that. And the moment you hit that benchmark, like you, you ignore every, every psychological trick that your brain is going to try to pull on you in terms of like sunk cost or like hot hand fallacy or anything like that. Like you, if, if it's like, all right, I put a hundred bucks in and once that hits 200 bucks, I pull it out. You know, yeah. that it's like, that it's like you kind of have to have these like extremely strict rules of engagement in order to prevent yourself from getting sucked into the scenario where you're going to convince yourself like, oh, my hundred went to 200. It's going to go to 400. Well, what, at, like if it's going to go to 400, then I should up my 200 to 2000. I should up my 2000 to 8000. I should, oh no, it just dropped 40% and is going to like linger there for the next six months. And Oh no, I actually just I, I I just put all my car payments into crypto. Interestingly, you've just you've just described the process of someone at a blackjack table also. I mean, this is exactly how gambling works. Um but so you draw the you draw a very, very strong parallel in your video between the 2008 crash and what led to it and what we're seeing with the cryptocurrency markets. I mean, put plainly, do you feel that these um that these all digital currencies have the possibility of bringing us into another recession? That my, my gut tells me no purely on the basis of, uh, I, I think crypto is so insulated, um, at the moment that for the most part, if if crypto were to just like basically zero out tomorrow for the most part like unless you were invested in crypto you wouldn't feel it however there's a little voice at the back of my head that's like yeah but you know i you know dan you know factually that like a whole bunch of investment banks and like you know just regular banks like they're hold like they're holding a lot of crypto and you don't know what they're doing with it you don't know what like you don't know what their risk profile is. You don't know what their uh, you know what their their investment uh, in this is. You don't know what they've been borrowing against it. You don't know what they've been lending based off of it. Who knows? Who who knows how much like like how how many cards are stacked on top of that? So there is this worry in the back of my head that it's like that. There's a whole you know, that uh, there's basically a whole like synthetic CDO situation that's just floating around out there that, that no one really is entirely aware that it exists because they're not dealing with it directly um, that, that would cause the same kind of chain reaction. I hope that's not the case. I have a strong, like my, my gut tells me that, you know, the, the conventional institutions actually wait, mm, U of C, no, uh, uh, 
UC, University of California actually has like a very, very uncomfortable risk profile in regards to their like crypto um, uh, borrowing and lending um, that I don't entirely understand the numbers on, but I, uh, it's, it's, that's a little worrying because they have a lot of like then connections into like pension funds that are that that end up being sort of the pressure point that ends up causing the chain reactions of these financial meltdowns to bleed over into the lives of, of ordinary people who have no direct connection to it. Um, so I have some, yeah, I guess to, I guess to try to like package that I have some complex reservations, but there is like, there's a hope in my heart that a crypto meltdown would largely just melt crypto. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's tough to say, right? It's also tough to say if crypto melting down would be the end of crypto because the anti-MLM movement has been incredibly popular for years. Yeah. In, in that regard, like, I think, like, I'm a, I'm a realist about that. Like, I don't think crypto is going away in our lifetimes. Um, but I think there's a, I mean, even, even if you believe that crypto is the future, like, there, there's a observable bubble, like the the valuation of all of these crypto assets against their material product is just so utterly irrational that even if you believe in crypto, like it's it's not it's not sane right now. There's it's completely disconnected from reality. Um, you know, there's there's no reason, no reason at all for uh, ether to be like north of a hundred dollars um you know the the actual like value of bitcoin is probably like 200 bucks and that's being generous um in, in terms of like the the material exchange of uh, uh the 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 the, 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 per, the actual purchasing power and like equivalency of those things so there's even if you're even if you're pro crypto there is a very very tri like obvious bubble that is just a little bit of pressure just got relieved out of it but like it's still super inflated um so I, yeah, I don't think I don't think crypto is going to like disappear um, in the same way that like MLMs are never going to. It, it is now a thing that will be with us for quite a while. Um, but uh, I, I strongly, strongly doubt that crypto 10 years from now is going to look anything like it does now. I think the, the, the there's a there's a major pressure release um coming and it's gonna it's gonna hurt a lot of a lot of uh, retail investors well sorry guys but i mean you should have known those apes were a bad deal when you saw them i had one i i did get one bit of the the crew at the defiance um put out a put out a, a video response where one they got really upset at some of the things i said about a few specific individuals um but um, also, they just had this really bizarre argument that it's like, if, if it was a scam, it would be dead already because scams only have a shelf life of like a couple years. And I'm just like, Bernie Madoff ran his Ponzi scheme for 30 years. The, the fact that the, the fact that Bitcoin hasn't exploded yet, like the, that it hasn't just melted into slag is not proof that it's not fraudulent. Like those, those are. Also, there are so many like MLMs that have been around for decades. I mean, even Lulu, Lululemon survived the atomic blast of that documentary. Lulu, <laughs> LuLaRoe. Sorry, LuLaRoe. Although, yeah. LuLaRoe survived uh, Lula Rich. Um, I, uh, Amway still, I don't want to say going strong, but like still there. Um, yeah. Um, so some of you guys sent in some questions. Um, one of my favorites was since the video has come out, have you heard any notable criticisms or ideas that you have not considered about your original arguments? Um, no, but I want to put a I want to put a healthy caveat on that, which is that 
there have been some like good criticisms. Um, there have been some like pretty valid ones, but they were all ones that I essentially saw coming it, because there's a lot that I had to cut from the video, you know, and there's a lot that like, I didn't necessarily cut, but I, I was like, okay, like there's, there's like this subject, this subject, this subject, this subject that I like want to talk about, but I need to get this done. And it's already super long. And I just, I don't know where to fit it in. And I don't know how to like segue into it. And I need to finish this at some point. Um, and so I just need to like take that subject and like shelve it. Um, every, you know, there's a bunch of like commentary that it's like, oh, you know, this subject has been simplified and the person considers it an oversimplification or there's like specific wording of a few of the examples that that is like, oh, like his explanation of gas fees on uh, on Ethereum. I'm like, I don't think my explanation in the video is is inaccurate, um, but I do think like, but I, I absolutely understand why people who are like trying to protect the the virtue of ethereum are going to be like oh well it's it's too it's too simplified and there's a few like if i went back and uh revisited i'd probably like reword it a little bit because i think it it you know the explanation that i put in maybe um doesn't do a uh, a great job of differentiating between um uh the block validation and individual transactions that it's like okay like a block is a bunch of transactions and i also don't i don't bring up the subject of how gas is basically like it's it's two-dimensional so you've got both the there's like there's the price of gas per unit but then your transaction has a variable quantity of gas and so the price is fluctuating along two axes at the same time and it's like i i didn't mention that in the video and so i could see how somebody would be like it's like oh you like you didn't you it's too oversimplified um and talking about like one criticism that I that I was really empathetic towards is that it's like you don't spend a lot of time talking about um, well-intentioned projects, and that was a thing that like I, I I'm I'm I was aware of because like that got cut from the video, but it got cut for specific reasons, which is that it created this false sense of scale, like this false sense of magnitude between the different arms of the uh, of the, the the space that it's like the fraudulent side of the space and the side of the space that works in service of the aims and goal like underlying aims and goals of cryptocurrency, which as we discussed ties into all of the sound money, virtual gold stuff that it's like that that all of that just, utterly dwarfs the the well-meaning like weirdo art projects that basically e exist in service of legitimizing the uh the the broader ecosystem um and then you know that i i found that if yeah, that it's like, it can kind of just be summed up in in that line that it's like, yeah, there's well, well intentioned projects, but they, ex you know, their existence serves only to legitimize the big the broader system. And it's a bad comparison, because like, well intentioned people got involved with Bernie Madoff early on, and I'm sure the money that they got out of that went to you know went to good purposes went to well-intentioned purposes and they saw like you know they saw returns you know air quote returns they like month they, they their investment got bigger and they used that money on something um but that doesn't mean like Madoff's Ponzi scheme was a Ponzi scheme like it absolutely was that's undeniable so the fact that somebody involved in that scheme probably did something good with the money that they got out of it is is I find like it's it's uncompelling and focusing on it uh distracts from the bigger picture you seem to I mean one walks away from your video with the perception that a decentralized financial system, like with no actual sort of structural oversight, governing body, et cetera, really can't work. Uh, is that accurate to how you feel on the issue? 
that that's a tricky question just because it goes into the realm of basically like sci-fi hypotheticals so it's like is there can we imagine a society where uh a deep like a completely decentralized economy that functions at the scale of our current global economy yeah we could probably hypothesize one um is the trajectory of crypto headed towards that no how do we actually solve the problem of owning digital of owning digital products while simultaneously not using drm but protecting slash helping the artist slash creator uh that's kind of a false question boom because yeah no there's there's a problem in the framing of that question which is that any system that is going to regulate or like that that is going to systematize digital ownership will by definition be drm oh and uh just for those watching who may not know can you uh explain drm uh drm is digital rights management um which basically once you unpack the the acronym it becomes obvious why like anything that manages digital rights is going to be digital rights management so so you can't really have digital ownership without having a system of drm it's it it is in kind of a perverse way effectively all or nothing um either you have provable ownership and drm or you don't have drm and thus ownership is effectively just a a very vague you know trust mediated um uh system that only functions within its its local economy so an example that actually got cut from like i talked about this actually a bunch in an earlier draft of the video with there's a have you ever heard of adoptables no so adoptables are a subculture that's been running for um about 20 years now so it's like a it's it's related to like for the furry community but they're not like one-to-one -one correlated um where artists you know artists in this community would create characters um and then and then sell those characters um you know you could you could adopt somebody's character and then that becomes your character that's that's yours and the ownership of of all of these different characters inside the ecosystem is effectively just is is mediated just by social trust that it's like how do we know that you know so and so owns this blue jaguar character and it's like well because we know would that work at scale no no because it requires like it requires those tight it, it requires that social fabric of of people actually knowing each other in order to function so so like can you have versions of digital ownership that function without drm yes in very localized contexts. can we have a mass market solution to like selling games uh or selling like in-game objects that doesn't utilize drm no on that note though of you know ownership of digital objects um you know as someone who is also a creator of content online i'm sure you know the fact that the internet has made people um i think much less used to the idea or willing to um pay for content that they consume online be that video article art whatever it might be um that is a real problem right that people no longer want to pay for the things that they consume online do you think that the rise of nfts in any way help address that problem or do they aggravate it how do you feel about that the degree to which I've seen people involved in crypto become more willing to pay for content um, relies heavily on the fact that when you're into the crypto ecosystem, um, the, the currencies themselves, the only way that you can stay sane while treating them as currencies is to 
it go to like kind of extreme levels of depersonalization and like distancing yourself from them. You basically need to put yourself into a mindset where they, it, it just becomes, you know, script. It just becomes tokens that it's like, okay, I've bought, I've bought Tezos, you know, I've bought a bunch of Tez because I want to participate on Hicked Nunce and you stop thinking about your Tez as having any dollar equivalent and you just start thinking about them like Chuck E. Cheese tokens, where it's like, all right, I've got a bunch of Tez that I can use inside the Tez ecosystem. And, you know, that, you know, it, it, if you, if you treat it as a one way purchase, you know, in the same way that it's like, okay, I buy, I buy bits off of like from from Amazon so that I can use them on Twitch and then it's like yeah I just like I've already bought the bits I just give them to the streamers that you know that I enjoy I give them to streamers like for channel rewards for like whatever that is like you and you you just stop you you don't consider at all that there's any kind of like exit strategy for those bits they're spent it's done You've got them. They're now inside this little game, like fun ecosystem that you and you use them on fun stuff. Um, and that's basically so the degree to which crypto folks are more willing to spend on content comes down to the fact that they need to depersonalize the uh, the the actual like exit strategy of their crypto in just in order to stay sane, because otherwise you pay attention to the volatility and it it drives you uh it drives you to madness right i mean the underlying kind of perception of this is not that hey these artists are making great things and we should support them as individuals because half the time the art is stolen or repurposed anyway the underlying perception is more that we're just collecting more of these valuable tokens that will serve us down the road yeah for in in a lot of ways yeah um, you do see some subcultures, like some like localized communities where it's very much like, oh, like somebody bought something from me for a bunch of Tez. Um, but because I don't view Tez as being real currency, I have very little um, emotional attachment to like holding it or like trying to cash it out. And so it's like, so I spend it very, very, you know, willingly that it's like, oh, if I see, if I, if I see a token, you know, if I see a piece of artwork on Hick Edmonds that like catches my attention and it's like five Tez, it's just like, all right, whatever, like I've got 20, you know, it's like just, you know, and, and it just kind of like rattles around like that. But then, you know, you can't really like get it. Like I keep coming back to Tezos because Tezos fascinates me because of its very peculiar history and the fact that it function, like that it actually almost sort of functions very tenuously um but then almost entirely by virtue of the fact that it's unpopular um so so forgive me if i keep using it as an example um but you you also see that in like we see this also in in ethereum with like board apes and whatnot you know and and lazy lines and a lot of the pfp programs where it's like you've got people who have been invested in ethereum for you know five six years now seven years now where they're sitting on just like irrational amounts of it that they can't cash out and so psychologically they're just playing with house money that it's like oh two ether, five ether, 20 ether. Like you see these jumps in the prices, like the bidding prices that are just sort of these, these bizarre leaps in, in bidding value that make a lot more sense if you view Ethereum psychologically as a video game economy, where mm -hmm. it's like, okay, if you're psychologically just playing with, with game cash, if, if you have so much, if you have so much ether, that it's just it's just game cash it's just it's it's chuck e cheese tokens you're just playing with house money then it's like yeah why not just add another like 10 ether onto your uh onto your bid 200 ether to wash trade something sure why not well i can already open is gonna take a big old cut of that wash trade but it's like who cares it's all like it's just it's it's, it's fake money anyway I mean, I can already hear someone who's a big crypto person being like, well, that happens in the real economy too with, you know, multi-billionaires. It's like, Which okay, is why we know that it's going on. Right. And it's also like, but that that also being bad doesn't prove that your system is better. In fact, it it actually in some ways proves that you're recreating the exact same incentive sets. 
thank you so much, Dan. Um, you know, uh, I've so appreciated this conversation. Obviously, as I mentioned, you have a YouTube channel. Um, and where can people go to find more of what you do? Uh, you can find me on YouTube channels is uh, is folding ideas, or you can find me on on socials under the handle uh, foldable human. Twitter is the, the main one that I use, um, though I'm I'm a lot less active on social in general these days. Um, so, but that might that might turn around once the once the heat dies down. I'll probably I'll, I'll I'll probably be back to Twitter. I'm a, I'm an addict. Can't can't stay away forever. But uh, yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine what those guys are doing to you right now. Well, uh, be strong. Um, ignore the haters. <laughs> ignore the trolls. Um, and thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you next week on a brand new episode of the Financial Confessions. Bye bye, everyone. Mm-hmm.